Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. He is risen. I know it's obligatory, but we got to do it. We got to do it. Uh, Watch you turn to your neighbor and say, I like your Easter duds this morning. <laughs> um, if, you were, if you were with us last week, we, we talked about how um, uh, the debacle that was my, um, my Palm Sunday t-shirt that was just, just my wife did not approve of. And so I dressed like this last night, and my wife was like, great, it looks good. And then my uh, teenage daughter, Adden, uh, who is very much like her mother, uh, she looked at me and she's like, are you preaching in Hawaii, dad? <laughs> I was like, no, no, yeah. So you got Hawaiian Ryan today. Uh, we got Easter going on. Uh, it is so, so great. This is, this is our fourth service, just so you guys know. Uh, we've been going strong and, uh, and it's just been, it's been so awesome. Uh, but I got to confess, as a church leader, a lot of times we look at Easter and we think we've got to one-up last year, right? We're like, what can we do with more lights? What could we do with more video? Like, what can we do to impress everybody on Easter? And as a team, we kind of had a bit of a realization. We are celebrating a guy who rose from the dead. What are we going to add to that, right? <laughs> what are we going to add to that? And... Um, so we're trying to keep things a little bit simple today. Um, we're going to talk about, shockingly, the resurrection of Jesus this morning. Um, but it is the thing on which our entire faith hinges, right? Our entire faith hinges on this one idea that Jesus conquered the grave. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark 16. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And coming into this, last Sunday we talked about Palm Sunday, and it was this moment where everybody had these political aspirations for Jesus, and the expectations on him were rising higher and higher and higher. They're at a fever pitch when he comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey, and it means a lot. There's a lot of symbolism. And people are chanting, Hosanna, which just means save us now. Please, we need redemption. Now, they're not talking about it in the way that we celebrate redemption. They're talking about it in a political sense. Save us from Rome. Save us from the oppression that we're facing. Uh, save us from people that are not like us, that are trying to change us. Please save us, Jesus. And pretty soon, their excitement starts to wane. And Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And they're disappointed. He gets arrested. And then he stands in front of Pontius Pilate and he doesn't say a word. And if you're a supporter of Jesus and the new political thing that he, you think he's bringing, you're pretty bummed out. You're like, Jesus, come on, say something. Like if you're going to say something at any point, now would be the time to say something. And yet he doesn't. Then when the religious leaders, they come, they ask him about who he is and what he's all about. He equates himself with God, and he said, I'm the son of God. And they freak out, and they tear their clothes, and they go, we have to kill this man. And if you're a supporter of Jesus and the new political kingdom that you think he's bringing, you are disappointed again. And at some point, all these people that were supporters of Jesus that were shouting Hosanna, they start to shout, crucify him. I am so deeply disappointed in what I thought this man was going to bring. Just crucify him. And Jesus is beaten, and he's spit on. 
and he's crucified and he dies a humiliating death on the cross in front of all of Jerusalem. And if that were the end of the story, we'd have a pretty sad faith, right? But luckily today, we are celebrating the fact that Good Friday is over and Resurrection Sunday is here because three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, right? He rose from the grave. And it wasn't just a magic trick. It wasn't just to impress everybody. There was something very deep that was going on. If you've got your Bibles, let's read. Uh, Mark 16, starting in verse 1, it says this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. History tells us it was one to two tons. It was two to 4,000 pounds. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where, he, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, who's really bummed out because he denied Christ like he said he would never do. <laughs> go to the disciples and to Peter um, and tell them that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is the resurrection moment. This is the moment when everybody, in all of their disappointment of the, the kingdom they thought that Jesus was going to bring, it all comes around and they go, maybe there's something different going on here. Maybe there's something that's even better than we ever dreamed happening. And this story is beautiful. It's epic. It's profound. It's told everywhere in the world, all over the world on today. But the question before us today is, is it true? Is this story true? Now, I, I grew up uh, in a working class family in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, my mom uh, was an elementary school teacher. Uh, my dad uh, was a mechanic, and he was going to an engineering school. Uh, they're actually sitting right here, so they could verify whether this story is true or not. Um, um, and we didn't, we didn't really have a box for God growing up. And effectively, I grew up pretty much atheist. I just, I didn't, you know, Tucson is not the Bible Belt. Uh, there's not a lot of people talking about Jesus in Tucson. Um, and I just did not grow up with a framework for God in my life. At some point, I started to become older, and um, I'm, uh, I, I like to argue a lot, and I found these crazy, this crazy group of people called Christians who believed in this crazy book called the Bible. And I was like, this, this is not true. This is this is a bunch of fables, right? This, is, this can't be true. I argued with uh, my best friend, uh, Blake, uh, and <laughs> didn't know she was going to be my wife later on. Um, I argued with her mom, who is also sitting right here. Um, I could ar I'd just argue with anybody, going, how can you possibly, possibly believe that this is true? At some point, uh, I met a guy named Joel Fritz, and uh, he, he used to be on staff here. He, he's an awesome guy, and uh, he invited me to be a part of his small group, 
which I had no idea what that was. I was like, is that like a smaller group of people? That What do you guys do? Um, and uh, so joined his small group and we started talking and, and I, I was effectively atheist when I joined that small group. And at some point he started telling me, he said, Ryan, there's actually a lot of, a lot of reason to believe in the Bible. And he started at a very crucial place for me. He started at Jesus. He said, you know, before you start asking all these questions about the flood and, you know, the creation and all of that, um, let me tell you, there is a lot more historicity in the life of Jesus than you would know. And I started a journey of really studying this idea, studying who is Jesus and what is, what is it that he said about himself and what proof is there that he lived. And I found out, honestly, there are virtually no historians, Christian or otherwise, who deny that Jesus lived and was crucified. None. Um, there's a, there's a, 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 an atheist scholar named Gerd Ludemann, and he studied uh, the Gospels, and he said this. He's an atheist. He said, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. It's indisputable. This is an atheist. He's like, hey, look, the fact that Jesus lived and he died of crucifixion, that is indisputable. When we learn about ancient history, a lot of times when you learn about a leader or, or, or an event that happened, there's one or two sources, one or two places where it was written down in antiquity that you could go, go back and read about that event. And a lot of times things that we consider just normal history really only came from one or two sources. The life and death of Jesus is chronicled not only in the 27 books of the New Testament, which is, that's a lot. That's a lot that's written about him. But there are five non-Christian historians at the time uh, who verify that Jesus lived and that he died. Josephus is one of them. He was a, he was a Roman historian. Even the Jewish Talmud, that's a, a bit uh, feisty against Jesus, to say the least, uh, doesn't believe that he was the Messiah at all. But the Talmud says, yeah, well, there was a guy named Jesus. He did live. He, he had a pretty effective ministry, and he died of crucifixion. And as I started learning about that, I was like, okay, good. All right, well, Jesus lived and he died. Great. That's not the question for us though today, right? The main question is, did he rise from the dead? Because there, there are people that have preached some crazy things and then they've died. That's not, that's not unique in history. What would be unique in history is if a man said that he held the keys to everlasting life who said that he could conquer death and the grave, and then that man died, and then three days later was resurrected, right? If there were such a man, we should probably listen to what he has to say. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Paul's going, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing here? We don't have anything. If there's no resurrection from the dead, we don't have anything in our faith. As I studied it over the years, I started to realize that there actually is a lot of proof for the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, there's an interesting passage uh, starting in verse 3, and it says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Uh, This small section of scripture It's structured differently than everything else. And historians tell us that what Paul is doing is he's referencing a creed that was written early on in the life of Jesus, and it was something that they could memorize. People who followed Jesus could memorize this. It's basically the gospel. It says there was a man who Jesus, he lived sinless according to the scriptures. He died and was resurrected according to the scriptures. And then it says this interesting thing right afterward. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. A lot of people date this creed to within six years of Jesus's death, which historically that in for ancient history, that is unprecedented. That's basically right on top of the event. And the event says, and the the creed says, Jesus died and he was raised again. And there's 500 people in Jerusalem. They saw it with their own eyes. Go talk to them. They're all still mostly alive. This is a bold assertion, especially in Jerusalem. A lot of people say, if you're going to fake the death and resurrection of somebody, you're not going to do it in Jerusalem. (laughs) It is a very well-populated place. And there's a lot of people Jesus was hung on a cross in front of the entire city of Jerusalem. Everybody saw it. And if you're going to fake a resurrection, you would do it in a small town with a few amount of people, not in a big town like Jerusalem. There's another thing, this thing called the enemy attestation. And this is the idea that, okay, we we know about Jesus uh, in the, in the, in the, biblical way and and from followers of Jesus. But what did the enemies of Jesus say about him in the resurrection? Well, the enemies of Jesus said, Jesus died. He died on the cross. He was put in a grave. And then the disciples stole his body. The funny thing about this is they are accepting the fact that pretty much everybody knows Jesus's body is not in that grave anymore and you cannot account for it. They are admitting, okay, his body's gone, but maybe it was stolen. Now, those of us who know the biblical account of the resurrection in, uh, in uh, the gospel of John, they talk about this fact that the Romans and the, and the religious leaders were worried that this was gonna happen. So they put Roman soldiers out in front of the tomb and they said, you need to guard this thing. Under penalty of death, you need to guard Jesus in this tomb. And that wasn't quite enough. So they took a two to 4,000 pound boulder and they rolled it in front of his tomb. And they're like, ha, try to grab his body now. So when Jesus's body goes missing, it's pretty laughable to think that the disciples somehow got this thing together. When you read about what's going on in the disciples, they're not thinking about trying to steal his body. They're going, this movement is over. My life is over. They are in deep despair. Now, I learned all those things, and as as an atheist, I wasn't quite convinced. And I was sitting in, uh, in, in one of the one of the small group sessions and my friend Joel was preaching and I don't remember what he preached on, but he finished with this one idea. He said this, he said, it's common knowledge and very, 
very clearly historical, which it is, uh, that all of the disciples were punished for their faith. They were persecuted deeply for their faith. Take just Paul by himself. He was imprisoned. He was shackled to somebody else. He was deeply, deeply persecuted for his faith in Jesus. But not only that, he started talking about the history of martyrdom and these 12 disciples. And he said, history tells us that Peter under Nero was arrested and they sentenced him to death by crucifixion. And Peter said, I will not die in the same way as my savior. Crucify me upside down. So he was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded for his faith. And Joel's simple question to me after this sermon was, would you do that if it was a lie? Would you be crucified upside down for something that you knew wasn't true? And something happened in me and I thought, no, I would be a coward, right? <laughs> the minute they pull out that knife and they're like, hey, you're going to die for your faith. I'd go, okay, fine. His body's hidden over there. You guys, I'll draw you a map. You could go find it. Just please, this has gone too far, you know? And if one person did that, maybe they were crazy, but all the disciples... And all the persecution that came on to Christians under Nero, why would anybody do that if they didn't see the risen Jesus? And I realized, I realized it is a reasonable thing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And it's the grace of God that he didn't just say, hey, trust me, it happened, you know, just, just worship me, celebrate me, dress up on Easter, and then we'll call it a day. That was not what he did. He made a cloud of witnesses that saw it, that can attest to it, that wrote about it in a compelling way that even to this day should push us to the point of going, we got to make a decision here about Jesus. Because either Jesus was crazy or he was who he said he was. There's really not any in between. At some point, Atheist Ryan became Christian Ryan. Um, and I think Atheist Ryan would be very shocked to see what Christian Ryan's doing right now. He'd be like, are you preaching? That's weird. Um, when I accepted Jesus, my life changed. It changed a lot. And just because you accept Jesus doesn't mean your life is easy. Far, far from it. No, I mean, Jesus says we are to give our lives for him, to die to ourselves daily for him. But what he gives us in exchange is far greater. And I stand in front of you and I'll tell you, look, I go through hard times as a Christian. I absolutely do. And I'm going to go through more. I know that. But every hard time I go through as a follower of Jesus pales in comparison to the loneliness and the darkness I felt as an atheist. I'm telling you, it's, it just doesn't hold a candle to it because the presence of God and the redemption of God that comes through the resurrection of Jesus is far greater. And it gives us so much more. Paul, Paul says it this way. I, I love this. Uh, let's see if my, oh shoot, my... Okay, I'm gonna have to flip through and find it. Uh, where am I at? Romans, Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, it says this, starting in verse 34. Jesus Christ is the one who died. And more than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what we receive with the resurrection. This is the kind of bulletproof faith that we receive at the resurrection. And I get it, we're in weird times. Every day you wake up and you go, what is going on in the news? I can't, what's happening? And I'm telling you, as followers of Jesus, this should push us nowhere else but to our knees to be praying and to understand that we do not serve the same kingdom as the world. We serve a different kingdom that's bulletproof. And Paul lists all these things, rulers and things that are come, that have come and that will come and that will ever come. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There's nothing that can separate us from the kingdom of God. We belong to a greater kingdom and not because we paid the price. We didn't. Jesus paid the price for that. That's why it's bulletproof. That's why it doesn't move. That's why that's the linchpin of our entire faith. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. And the idea, and, and so, many, so many Christians make this about just fix yourself up and look perfect all the time. That is not it. There is no one in this room, church leader included, that was clean enough, that, that sinned less enough, you know, that, that did all the right things to reach God. None of us did. There's absolutely no one in this room that could stand before God on their own merit and say, I earned this place, let me in. Not one of us. The gospel is that for a sinner like me, Jesus died. For someone like me that had no access to the kingdom of God, now I have access because of Jesus. This is the good news of Easter. This is the good news of Easter. Let's all stand up. Jesus said this in John 11. After he was raised from the dead, he said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He promised us everlasting life. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well in each one of us who follow Jesus. We have that same power in us. And church, now is the time when we need to let that power shine. Now is the time where we could stick out to the world because as the world gets darker, the light shines brighter. This is our opportunity for those of us that are kingdom-minded to make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you came today, though, and you're like, I can actually connect more with atheist Ryan than Christian Ryan. That's okay. Maybe you came this morning and someone in your family made you come or a friend coerced you or bribed you. I don't know how you got in the room. But I will tell you that this morning, if you don't know Jesus and you found yourself here, it is not by accident. 
It's not by accident. For God so loved the world, he loved you that he gave his only son. There's purpose that you were brought here for. And you're gonna have an opportunity to give your life to Jesus in just a little bit. But we're gonna sing a song, we're gonna worship. And I love this song, it's, it's, a, it's a repentance song. I think a lot of times we go, hey, following Jesus is easy. It is not easy, let me tell you. The, the beginning of the, the stage of following Jesus is easy. The rest of it is you're dying to yourself. But what you're exchanging again is so much greater. What you get back from the Lord is so much greater. But it starts with the repentance. It starts from turning from the ways that we are going. It's starting, it starts with us all understanding in this room that we were the ones yelling, crucify him. We were the ones, when we look at the history of Jesus, where we might look down our nose at the disciples when they were scared and they ran away, or we might look at people who are shouting, crucify him and think less of them. But we were those people. And we were redeemed when we didn't deserve it at all. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the, for the radical price that you paid on the cross for us. We thank you that this is not just a fun story to tell once a year, but God, it is the power to live out of every day of our life, that resurrection power. The same spirit that raised you, Jesus, from the dead is alive in us. And Lord, help us. We need a lot of help. We surrender to you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. Let's sing.